0: Each week, we tackle big questions from educators, nurses, and other helpful folks that let us explore how to show up after life goes horribly wrong. This week, shouldn't you be used to it by now? If you work in an industry where loss is all around you, do you ever get used to it? Should you get used to it? Is there any way possible to get used to it? Your questions about getting numb to loss on the job and in the world are coming up right after this first break before we get started one quick note well i hope you find a lot of useful information in our time here together this show is not a substitute for skilled support with a licensed mental health provider or for professional supervision related to your work hey friends You know, we started this show to talk in a very broad sense about healthcare workers and the amount of pressure on them to hold the weight of the world. Of course, we still do that. It's a really important aim of the show. If you've been listening, though, you know we also talk about a whole range of human issues relationships, how to be a good friend to somebody in pain. We talk about navigating boundaries because seriously, almost everything has to do with boundaries. We talk about finding hope or direction when life feels bleak. And we even try to do that kind of tough topic in a more fun, direct, approachable way than most other places do without being overly twee about everything. But because I'm an educator at heart in all of these things, we try to always point back to the larger cultural sweep. How our outdated views about grief impact our daily lives as individuals, as providers, as regular old humans trying to live in a complicated world. If there's a unifying theme for all the episodes of the show, past, present, and future, it is that. Showing you the ways our avoidance of pain impacts everything, whether you think you've got grief in your life or not. I always think about my work as like turning on the black light, you know, Okay, geeky alert from like back in the day when we could safely gather in large groups in dark spaces and you get that little like weird little stamp on your hand from the bouncer, but you can't tell exactly how quirky the image is until you get to the door and the magic light machine reveals what was previously unseen. That. That's me. Or my image of myself right now anyway. This week on the show, I'm indulging my inner black light machine, turning it on the quirky invisible stamp of grief aversion the cult of positivity, and the weird ways we think humans should work. With questions from a fitness instructor that lead us into discussions about emotions and boundaries and the risks of being human in the workplace. If you've ever wondered if you should be better at turning off the pain around you, this one's for you. So to help us get into this issue, we're going to warm up with a question from a... Okay, sorry. It is a terrible pun, but we are going to warm up with a question from a fitness instructor. (sighs) A listener on Instagram wrote in, I work as a wellness and fitness instructor for folks over 50 and adults with disabilities. I work all over the grief spectrum, and loss is a pretty common job experience. I grieve deeply when a participant passes... Feel helpless when a participant experiences losses of their own, and bristle when my coworkers or peers think I should be used to all this loss by now. I would love strategies to offer support while trying to maintain some sort of emotional boundary without sacrificing the personal connections that make our program so successful. Now, I chose this question not for the fitness warm up funds, but because it touches on several important issues. We'll get into a few strategies for compartmentalizing emotions on the job in a minute. But first, I want to talk about shouldn't you be used to this by now? This I should be used to this by now thing shows up in a lot of professions, from healthcare to the legal system to search and rescue teams to, as we just heard, the fitness and wellness industries. Just because you see difficult things all the time doesn't mean they don't affect you. That is a weird expectation we put on ourselves and on others. Like repetition of terrible things does not make you less human or somehow like superhuman with no emotions. Feeling something on the job where there are feelings to be felt is normal and healthy. It shows that you're human. Even just claiming that humanity, that in itself can feel like a radical act. I love that the person who wrote this question doesn't seem to judge their own emotionality and instead feels kind of protective of it. You can hear it when they say, I bristle when my coworkers or peers think I should be used to all this loss by now. So why do coworkers and peers do this kind of thing? Judge you for having an emotional response to your work. I mean, we've talked a lot lately on this show about creating communities of support within work environments, especially when losses are present. But you can't make the people you work with be down for that kind of inclusive and supportive environment, can you? So why do we do it? This is one of those black light moments where we can say that the messages we've absorbed, the toxic messages that say grief is a weakness, that being affected by the people around you isn't very professional, that the best response is no response, sort of this blank wall of a professional persona. It's all part of that stiff upper lip thing, right? Being positive and unaffected and somehow above being human is like the main goal of humanity. It's been like the main goal for centuries. It's that old Cartesian split between the head and the heart. Emotion is dangerous. Retreating to cold, hard, impersonal reason, that's the ideal. Logic keeps us safe. Emotion threatens to tear things down. There is literally nothing new under the sun with this impervious ideal. And it shows up quite clearly in this shouldn't you be used to all this snotty kind of remark. It shows up in so many different jobs and so many different fields. Burnout does happen, of course, and burnout can absolutely make you feel numb to the human beings around you. So there is that and we'll do a show about burnout another time. But this kind of shaming your coworkers thing is a little different. There's an ingrained, usually unconscious belief that showing emotion is bad and stoic detachment is good, and that belief makes us be judgy wankers to the people around us who are actually feeling their feelings. Can I say judgy wankers and still get the clean rating on the podcast apps? I guess we're going to find out. Anyway, what this listener says is that her peers and her coworkers judge her, look down on her in a way for being affected by the losses inherent in the job. That judgment exists because of internalized messages about emotions in the workplace and whether it's okay to be affected by the world around you or not. If you've internalized those messages from the media, pop psychology, the entertainment industry, messaging inside the medical industry, then you really do think that being affected by the work is doing it wrong. You don't think you're being judgmental. You think you're being professional. And the person with feelings isn't. What's really happening, if we turn on our grief avoidance fancy blacklight machine, what's happening is that you're seeing somebody else's very human emotional response. And that trips something off in you, all of your internalized messaging about emotions being bad. You feel uncomfortable. And that discomfort ricochets out in judgment and derision. It reminds me a lot of what we actually talked about in the special Valentine's Day episode two, which you should totally listen to, even if it's not Valentine's Day, that shortage of compassion thing. It's almost like we say, if I don't have the luxury to feel anything inside this job, then you shouldn't feel anything either. I actually do that like with my little scolding, pointing finger here as though I was scolding somebody. So imagine that. That is really what we're doing. If I don't have the luxury to feel anything on this job because emotions are dangerous, then you shouldn't feel anything either. So what do we do about all that now that we've seen it now that we have shined that magic light machine on what's really going on here so we can see where all of that shouldn't you be used to it emotional shaming comes from well let's use my responses to this listener's question to break things down you can apply this to any situation work or otherwise where you feel like other people judge your very human responses in a negative way first as a reminder and an encouragement, being affected by all these different losses the listener mentions is normal. It's the sign of being a human with a functioning heart and a functioning limbic system. Being affected by the deaths of your clients, feeling for them when your clients go through their own losses or experience changes in their bodies or deaths in their own communities, I take your emotional responses to all that as good news. The work hasn't shut you down. Though the workplace messaging tells you you're doing it wrong, I'm going to be over here cheering you on, telling you that you are doing it 100% right. Second, moving on to the unfeeling peers and colleagues in this listener's question, I'm going to assume you get their judgmental responses when you try to share your experiences with them, like share your feelings with them, as somebody in a good, healthy peer colleague community would do. I want you to keep looking for that reflection and connection. I hope you can find it on the job, but if not, or in addition to finding it on the job, look for it in other places too. This kind of emotional work is hard enough, and it's even harder if you have to do it alone. Next thing, a little subtle or not so subtle peer education intervention could be a good approach here. You know I love some skillful communication tools You could go with a one-on-one process conversation where you ask somebody who has been judgmental of you being affected by the work. You could say something like, it sounds like you have a hard time hearing that this work gets to me sometimes. Is that true? And then use that person's response as your starting point for either a larger conversation about being human or as a sort of thanks for letting me know, have a nice day exit point in case they double down and get mean. You could also just go with a simple educational statement with no further conversation. Something like, I like that I'm present enough to this work that I still care about the human beings around me. Sometimes work hurts. And then just like, end scene, just with that statement. If it were me, because I'm not always a grown up, if it were me, I would, you know, if somebody gives me a snarky judgment about like, shouldn't you be over that by now? You see this crap all the time. I'm going to come back with something like, I like that I'm present enough to this work that I still care about the human beings around me and sometimes work hurts. And then I'm going to hold eye contact for just a beat longer than is really humanly necessary to make the other person uncomfortable. But again, I'm not always a grown up. But if this kind of emotional relational judgment is something you experience frequently in your workplace, you might just want to have a couple of standard responses that you use over and over again. There is absolutely zero reason to put in the effort of coming up with new things to say when somebody keeps coming at you with the same tired old judgments. Like they're dialing in their judgment. Don't work too hard to come up with new things to say each time. Just a simple statement like the one that I used a minute ago. I like that I'm present enough to this work that I still care about the human beings around me. End scene. I do want to say one extra thing quickly here before we go to break about activism and other industries where you're working for social change. By definition, you are immersing yourself in something very difficult and highly charged. To be an effective activist, you have to look at what's wrong in order to fight for what's right. We're going to do a whole show on activism in the next couple of months, but this seems like a really good place to bring up in today's show too. Whether you work in medicine, or law enforcement, or in policy work upholding trans rights and other human rights, or in gun reform or domestic violence, any of it, just because you quote signed up For this work, just because you've seen so much of what's wrong doesn't mean you should be used to it by now. We heard this a lot in the first year of the pandemic, right? Medical workers shouldn't whine about how much loss and suffering they saw because they, quote, knew what they were signing up for. In these fields, having a human response to the pain around you can actually fuel more judgment. If we go back to what we said about the fear of human emotion being deeply, deeply ingrained in human culture— It's no surprise at all that we see huge judgment and criticism aimed at people on the front lines of human pain and suffering. I don't mean that as a downer, but more as an acknowledgement that the more you wade into the difficult realities of the world, the stronger the insistence that you shouldn't feel any of it. It's weird. So remind yourself, no matter where you're working, that having human emotions is normal and healthy. Open conversations with your peers and your colleagues about that judgment. Open them, especially with the judgmental ones, if that feels safe to do with your like small collection of one-liners. Push back at the people who judge your emotional range and capacity. Yeah? Okay, coming up after the break, everybody, we slightly flip the script and talk about ways to shut down your emotions at work of course, in healthy and productive ways. Don't miss that part, friends. We will be right back. Welcome back. Glad you're all still with me. I feel like I did a reasonably good job of reining in my rant on the historical roots of pain avoidance and how it messes with things in daily modern life. It's one of my favorite all-time subjects and I can definitely ramble on about it. I do want to get into part two of this listener question, though. Healthy coping strategies to compartmentalize emotions on the job. I put this episode in this specific order for a reason. We spent the first half of the show normalizing the existence of emotional responses before we dive into, okay, so exactly how do I manage my emotions on the job? It's in that order because we've got to say that emotions are okay first before we talk about reining them in. I love what this listener says here. How can I offer support while trying to maintain some sort of emotional boundary without sacrificing the personal connections that make our program so successful? What we don't want is an either or binary here, right? That would be just keeping us trapped in that whole logic, good, emotion, bad equation. If we have to sacrifice the benefits of the work, which here sounds like a real personal connection and positive experience for the participants, if we have to sacrifice that in order to get the work done, that is not ideal. But we also don't want to be so affected by the emotions of the work that we can't do the work. Collapsing into emotion isn't great for the participants or the work environment either. So we really do need to put some boundaries around the whole thing. I told you everything is about boundaries. I think we, we got two options in my brain here everything is about grief, and everything is about boundaries, like the foundation of existence. Okay, that's a different show. So two strategies here applicable to this listener working in the fitness industry and anyone dealing with human interactions. The first one is about how you talk to yourself at work. Remember that we're all human and we're wired to feel with each other, to be touched by other people's emotions and experiences. So when you notice emotion coming up, you can say to yourself something like, ah, there it is. I'm really touched by this person in front of me or I have some real feelings about this person's death or this thing they're going through or even something like, yeah, I got into this work because of stories just like this and they still affect me. You hear what I'm saying? You want to notice your emotional response and tell yourself the story that it makes sense that you're feeling it. Look, I listen to hard stories of personal loss all the time in a way I'm used to it, but that doesn't mean I'm immune to it. I'm super sensitive to accidental loss stories, especially when the person was there at the time when their person died. So part of this strategy that I'm talking about here is to know what gets you. Maybe it's a place your personal life intersects with what's unfolding in your professional life. Maybe it's a specific kind of emotional experience that gets to you. We're going to do another episode on skillful self-disclosure for healthcare providers and for civilians. But for now, know that everybody has their own tender spots, their own sore spots. If you're feeling especially emotional in the moment or you can feel it coming on, saying something to yourself like, that's a big thing for me. I see it. I'm going to come back to myself and tend to it later today. Right now, I need to focus on the person in front of me. That's really great emotional containment right there. It's just a sentence, but it's doing some really heavy hitting work. The important part with that kind of emotional intervention for yourself is you actually do have to come back to yourself later and tend to that sore spot. Like if you say to yourself in the moment, this is a really big thing for me. I see it coming. I'm going to come back to myself and tend it later. But right now I kind of need to put that emotion on the shelf so I can tend to the the situation at hand. If you never come back and pay attention to those sore spots, they're going to come back to bite you. You can't just say, yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you and then not do it. It's like you almost use time management techniques or a timeshare in the psyche. I think that's a cool way to think of it. You want to think about a timeshare in the psyche. I'll spend some time with this emotion later on tonight, but right now I need to focus. The more you do that, one, telling yourself those sorts of kind, emotional containment stories, and two, definitely following up with yourself later, the more you do that, The more you trust yourself to keep your word, the easier it gets to compartmentalize in the moment. If you just shush yourself, cut it out, stop feeling like this, you're not helping things, you got to focus, you are going to create an emotional backlog that is going to erupt. If you tell yourself, yep, I'm human and I'm feeling these things and I'm going to get back to them, you know, on a walk tonight or after dinner or whatever your practice is, and you consistently do that, then you trust yourself. And these kinds of emotional containment skills are going to be easier and more effective. Yeah. I also want to say that if you need to take a break, like if your emotions are getting too big to be redirected or you didn't sleep well, and your emotional bandwidth is not really what it sometimes is, Have a plan for stepping away for a moment until you can get yourself back into that professional but compassionate composure land. So that is strategy number one for compartmentalizing big emotions at work, self-talk, and exit plans. The second strategy is to have some scripts you can say to clients or participants so you're not like scrambling for words while you're feeling some feelings and leaving your client or your participant feeling unheard or embarrassed. Another listener actually reminded me of this passage in the Harry Potter series where Dumbledore is talking about creature and he says, quote, indifference and neglect often do more damage than outright dislike. If you entirely shut down your emotional response on the job, you run the very real risk of sending the message that you just don't care. Indifference is powerful. As that quote said, indifference can do much more damage than outright dislike. Indifference is powerful. So is acknowledgement. A few simple statements can make the difference between somebody feeling seen and respected as a human being or feeling dismissed as though they mean nothing. Your steadiness and your honesty in the face of a difficult or challenging emotion also gives the client or the patient something to hold on to when they're feeling big feelings of their own. This doesn't have to be super complicated. I think the tendency here is like, oh, crap, emotional territory. Let me make something super complicated and rationally expensive to move into place. Like, no, no, this does not have to be super complicated. It does get easier with practice, but this is actually a really brief intervention we're talking about here. There's this great study on compassion that showed that on average, medical providers spent an extra 20 seconds making compassionate statements, and those simple, quick statements radically improved patients' views of the exchange even when bad news was delivered. Compassionate statement here means something like, this sounds like it could be really difficult information for you. I've got some other ideas about scripts here in a second, but like, These don't have to be super complicated things. Just letting a patient know that you see and recognize their humanity in that moment, that's a really big gift. So coming up with a little collection of kind, compassionate statements makes maintaining your professional boundaries a lot easier. It also impacts your students, patients, clients, constituents, whatever, in a positive way. As our original listener With their question, wrote, I wanna do something in line with the personal connection my team is known for, right? So that might mean when you hear about or see something difficult in a, a patient or a participant, it might mean saying something like, It's hard to lose the people we love. Or, Changes in your body can be really difficult to navigate. I see how tough this is for you today. Would it be helpful to do a new exercise for a challenge, or would you rather do something old and familiar? I love what that kind of exchange does. It recognizes the humanity of the participant, client, whatever in front of you, and also reminds them or gives them the sense that you have enough of a solid foundation that you can be their anchor in that moment, right? That's going to be different depending on the job at hand, but your calm presence while acknowledging somebody else's humanity, that's a really awesome professional skill. If you want to do this sort of checking in with your coworkers, because remember, our original question here is like, I want to be able to go to my coworkers and my peers and my colleagues and say, Man, I'm having some real feelings. I'm really human up in here today, right? Like, I'm having some real feelings. If you want to check in with your coworkers when one of your customers or your clients dies, you might say something like, It never stops being painful, does it? We know these people so intimately, it's always hard when they die. Your goal here is simple acknowledgement of the human being in front of you or the human story unfolding around you. It feels a little bit scary because of that old ingrained messaging about emotions bad, but it really does not need to be complicated. Okay. I hope these strategies to combat judgy statements like, shouldn't you be used to this by now, has been helpful. You might need to listen to it a couple of times to make sure you get... What's going on here? I do hope that my sojourn into the historical roots of grief avoidance makes you a little bit more curious about these snarky, judgy comments people spout around normal human emotions. Getting a peek behind the snark scenes can sometimes be really useful. Coming up after the break, questions to carry with you, and as always, how to share your questions for me to answer on a future show, Blacklight possibly involved? Don't miss that part, friends. We'll be right back. Each week, I leave you with some questions to carry with you until we meet again. It's part of that whole this awkward stuff gets easier with practice thing. This week, a deceptively easy reflection question. How do you feel about emotions in the workplace? I don't want to say too much more than that for your questions to carry with you, but take some time in the coming days or weeks to answer that question. How do you feel about emotions in the workplace? See what happens. What beliefs do you uncover? Is there anything you find lurking in there that might need some attention or some reframing? Let me know. More importantly, let yourself know. And if you find any new questions you need answered in there send them in. This show is nothing without your questions. It's literally a Q&A show. You can ask me anything you'd like. Bring me your clinical questions, your workplace questions, your I'm trying really hard to be a good friend here, but I'm getting really frustrated questions. Ask me how to handle that one thing that always leaves you feeling like a deer in the headlights and you really need a script for it. Let's talk it out. Call us at 323-643-643 three seven six eight and leave a voicemail if you missed it you can find that number in the show notes or visit megandevine.co. if you'd rather send an email you can do that too right on the website megandivine.co we want to hear from you i want to hear from you this show this world needs your questions together we can make things better even when we can't make them right You know how most people are going to scan through their podcast app looking for a new show to listen to and they're going to see the show description for hereafter and think, I don't want to talk about that stuff. Emotions. Bad. (laughs) Here's where you come in. Your reviews let people know it really isn't all that bad in here. We talk about emotional stuff, but it's in the service of making things better for everyone, so everyone needs to listen. Spread the word in your workplace, in your social world, on social media, and click through to leave a review. Subscribe to the show, download episodes, and send in your questions. Want more hereafter? Grief education doesn't just belong to end of life issues. Life is full of losses, from everyday disappointments to events that clearly divide life into before and after. Learning how to talk about all that without cliches or platitudes or sneaky grief avoidance things that have been around for centuries, that's an important skill for everybody. Find trainings, workshops, books, and resources for every human trying to make their way in the world after something goes horribly wrong at megandevine.co. Hereafter with Megan Divine is written and produced by me, Megan Devine. Executive producer is Amy Brown. Co-produced by Tanya Juhasz and Elizabeth Fazio. Edited by Houston Tilley. With studio support by Chris Uren. Music provided by Wavecrush.